Hysteria is brought to you by Books. This Mother's Day, give mom her flowers. She deserves the best. That's why you should send her farm fresh flowers from Books. That's short for bouquets. And right now, you can get 25% off your entire Books purchase. Here's why everyone likes the Books company. Books is different. Their flowers are cut fresh and sourced directly from the best flower farms, so they last way longer. They even have flowers grown on the side of a volcano, which I love. Books has modern designs and unique flowers you can't find anywhere else. Books is simple. Go online, pick the delivery date, and you are done. Mother's Day is May 12th. Don't miss the chance to thank your mom. Order your books now. And with 20% off, you can send some to mom, wife, aunt, and even grandma. Erin, I love my books. I love a flower that lasts forever, and my books arrangements really do last a full solid week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have uh, I have some sitting on my kitchen table right now, mm-hmm. and they've been there for several days. And usually when I buy them at, like, the grocery store, they're sort of, like, starting to crap Fade. out pretty quickly. Yep. Not with books. They stick around. They look beautiful. I like how they kind of slowly open up and become even more beautiful as they sit on your, you know, wherever Absolutely, you Absolutely, because they're that fresh. So go to books.com and use promo code hysteria for 25% off. That's B-O-U-Q-S dot com, promo code hysteria. Books, promo code hysteria. Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. Alyssa, you were in my dream. What? Kind of. What do you mean? Did I look good? Okay. Well, I didn't see you. You were on the phone. Okay. And here's why. In my dream, I was on a flight that was redirected to a city that is like very, very unstable right now, experiencing a lot of political instability. Mm-hmm. Port-au-Prince, Haiti. Okay. All right. I got off the plane. And as soon as we got off, they were like, we're shutting down the airport. Nobody's allowed to leave because there's too much instability on the streets. And I called you and I was like, Alyssa, I'm stranded. And you said, Mm -hmm. I got you, girl. I'm sending a plane. It was like such a realistic. I would totally reach out to you if I got stranded somewhere. So, you know, you should. And, you know, if you were ever stuck anywhere, I would be like. I'd be like Shirley MacLaine in terms of endearment when she's trying to get the drugs for her daughter. I wouldn't stop (laughs) until I saw the whites of your eyes myself. (laughs) I mean, in the dream, I was like, yeah, of course, Alyssa will be able to somehow figure out a way to get a plane there. It was just so realistic. Yes. (laughs) Don't you worry. Don't you worry. You sleep. You rest easy. This week, we're joined by Representative Pramila Jayapal, Megan Gailey, and Kieran Deal to take on the following questions. Why are nurses in New York City on strike? What can progressives do now that, congressionally speaking, the inmates have taken over the asylum? Is Prince Harry's scorched earth memoir brilliant or boring? And what on earth was Gwen Stefani thinking? All this and more right now. Alyssa, we've got some labor news this week. So much happening out there that I feel like it's labor news and I feel like it's not really getting covered enough. So I'm so glad we're talking about it. Yeah. So why don't you fill in our listeners on what's going on with nurses in New York City? Erin, we have some 7,000 nurses on strike here in New York City at Montefiore Hospital and Mount Sinai Main Hospital. And Erin... 
These nurses, the the New York State Nurses Association, the contract was up on December 31st. They gave a 10-day notice that they would strike if there wasn't movement on the 39 proposals that they had put forward. And also, just to be clear, the preponderance of the 39 proposals are all about patient safety and patient care. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's what these nurses are striking for. Patient safety and patient care. Like, what do you mean by that? Do you mean like how many people need to be working? So what I mean is they are very concerned. Their shifts are incredibly long. They were bargaining over the conditions in the ER, having to treat patients in hallways. And most importantly, the nurse to patient ratio, which should, according to research, be about one to three, one nurse per three patients in the ER. And lots of nurses were stating that they at times have had to care for up to 20 patients, which affects their care. And they're understaffed. One of the hospitals has over 700 nursing positions open. The other hospital has over 500 nursing positions open. So they're striking. They are out there. They are sacrificing their pay and their health insurance currently to be out there to fight for what they are asking for. And there's been some improvement, but they're in day three of their strike currently, and we're with them. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean for people who are patients at these hospitals where the nurses are on strike? So right now, those hospitals are diverting ambulances and they are sending patients to other hospitals because they do not have the staff to do a lot of intake. Hmm. You know, something I've noticed is every time there's a quote unquote labor shortage in an industry, it's not that people don't want to work. It's just that the people that are making decisions on pay and compensation are not offering a fair amount of pay or compensation for what the work entails. And this seems like a a classic example of that. Exactly. And for all of COVID, we've been saying, nurses are heroes. Nurses are heroes. Well, why don't you pay them Mm -hmm. like heroes? Why don't you treat them like heroes? According to the Department of Labor, eight of 25 major work stoppages, major work stoppage includes more than 1,000 employees, eight of 25 in 2022 were initiated by healthcare workers. So in the middle of a pandemic, I just feel like... Everyone could be doing better. The CEO of Montefiore Hospitals makes $6 million a year. So I'm just saying it seems like the 19% wage increase over three years that the nurses are asking for is not exorbitant. Yeah. I also think we need universal health care because it is absolutely batshit insane that a penny of money that you pay for health care goes to administrative salaries that are so huge. It's just, oh, it's, it's crazy. crazy to me. It's, it's oh, absolutely insane. Okay. In some hopeful news, Katie Porter, our girl, yes, has launched a Senate campaign for Senator Dianne Feinstein's seat. Katie Porter on Tuesday released a campaign launch video out ahead of Feinstein saying that she's not going to run. Nobody really expects her to run in 2024. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of people don't think she should really even be in the Senate right now um, because, uh, you know, we we talked to Rebecca Tracer not long after she wrote that Dianne Feinstein piece. Mm -hmm. And I really think it raised some legitimate questions about 
her mental fitness for the job. And I think the state of California, as a Californian, as a California voter, deserves to have two senators who can really give it their all and really uh, and do a great job. And I think Katie Porter is a great, great candidate. We love to see it. We love to see it. And also, years ago, Cory Booker did the same thing to Fred Lautenberg, and nobody got all up in arms that Cory Booker announced before Fred Lautenberg said that he was going to, Frank, Frank Lautenberg, sorry, Frank Lautenberg, said he was going to retire. And also, Aaron, breaking news while we have been recording, sources from the Congressional Black Caucus meeting right now say that Barbara Lee looks like she will throw her hat in the race soon also. Interesting. Nothing but upside for your state right now. I mean, look, the bench is pretty deep. I think Katie Porter is a great candidate. Barbara Lee is also a great candidate. Both of them are welcome on the show whenever they want. Whenever they want. Adam Schiff, a longtime congressman for the L.A. area, can't come on the show because he's a man and he's not running for governor of Texas against Greg Abbott. But um, I, I think that the race will be really interesting. I hope there's not too much mudslinging. But I think... Katie Porter is somebody who a lot of people across the country are really excited about. And I think a lot of California voters are excited about her. I'm glad to see that the people running for Senate so far or whose names have been bandied about so far uh-huh. seem to all be like serious, longtime public servants who uh, know what they're doing and, and would actually contribute as senators. And none of them are just celebrity candidates, um, because I think you and I have both heard rumors of some celebrities who have no business, yeah. no fucking business running for Senate. Just be famous. Enjoy yourself. <laughs> Just be famous. Why do you have to be a senator? You're rich and bored by a yacht. Yes. Don't run for office. Don't make that our problem. Buy a yacht. Or maybe just buy some striking nurse's lunch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Send them like a platter of locks and bagels. Or charcuterie. Yeah, a charcuterie platter, indeed. Uh, finally, before we take a break and get to our interview, I want to toast Arizona Governor Katie Hobbs. She just do it. Katie Hobbs is not afraid of any of the malarkey in her state. Mm-hmm. Arizona Republicans are a, a very specific breed of person. They're wild, they're wacky, and they really tried, yeah, they really try to use their wild wackiness to scare and intimidate people. But I think that Governor Katie Hobbs is not scared and not intimidated. During her state of the state speech this week, she came out strong about how Arizona will not be introducing measures to restrict abortion, how Arizona will, in fact, protect abortion access. And uh, Republicans walked out. So cry harder, guys, because Katie Hobbs is your governor and she's not going to let you run your crazy agenda in the face of sanity. Anyway, so I'm happy for people in Arizona. I'm glad you guys have a new governor for the first time in eight years who's actually got her head on straight and isn't afraid and isn't going to bow to pressure. Also, recent hysteria guest. So it was cool to to have her on, too. Um, Okay, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we have an interview with Representative Pramila Jayapal, one of our favorite guests. Stick around. And welcome back. Our guest today represents Washington State's 7th District and just started her fourth congressional term. She's the chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, and she's helped pass groundbreaking legislation on immigration, income inequality, 
and climate change. And she was the first South Asian American woman elected to the House of Representatives. Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal, welcome to Hysteria. It is great to see you both. Thank you for having me. Oh, great to see you as always. Your congressional year had a bit of a delayed start. Um, What was it like sitting through those 15 rounds of voting before Kevin McCarthy got elected as speaker? You know, it was many things. It was unbelievable that Kevin McCarthy would get himself into that humiliating state for 15 rounds. (laughs) It was sad because I think it really showcased how broken the Republican Party is and what they're bringing, the chaos that they're putting the House of Representatives into. And it was scary because if they can't get it together for the speakership, what does that mean for the future? And in the end, the way he got those votes, as you both know well, is by giving control essentially to the extreme mega Republicans of their party and cutting a lot of side deals, some of which we don't even know yet what they are because they're not all written down in the rules package. And what does that mean for America paying our bills or funding our government or all of the other things that are actually required parts of government that will need to operate with a Democratic Senate and a Democratic White House? So we've all been in meetings that have gone on for way too long where we've just been like, Can we just get to it? Like, did you find that it was difficult for you to engage in the process without either despairing or being like, oh, guys, come on, just get it over with? Like, how did you pass the time? (laughs) I admit to playing a few games of solitaire on my phone. It was good (laughs) in that we had so much time on the floor, which we haven't had in a long time. So I went around and I introduced myself to members that I didn't know. I actually had a couple of Republicans come over to introduce themselves to me, which was interesting. So there was a lot of camaraderie on the floor, a lot of, you know, joking, a little muttering. But at the end of the day, I think it was also a very unifying act because it was really great to see the contrast between Democrats and Republicans. And that kind of captivated me for a lot of the time that I was on the floor. Pramila, we heard a lot of back and forth on uh, cable news and social media about the rules package and the negotiating going on around the rules package. That is gobbledygook for most people who are listening. Can you explain what a rules package is and why the concessions he made are so impactful? Yes. Well, typically a rules package is basically how does the house function and what are the fundamental rules that are going to exist for the functioning of the house, which includes how somebody could challenge the speaker of the house, for example. It actually does include things like what cameras are allowed on the floor, who is allowed on the floor, some very simple things, and then some things that are much more related to the agenda of the party in charge. So in this case, for example, they put in to the rules package, the criminalization of abortion. They put in the fact that there are bills that are coming to the floor immediately without a hearing, without a markup that are about taking away reproductive choice for millions of women across this country. They clearly have not been watching the elections play out. There are both policy pieces in it and there are practical pieces about how the body functions. And so, for example, there was this moment on the floor where one of the Republicans accused Democrats of having alcohol on as part of the goings on, which absolutely was not true. In a typical scenario, 
you would be able to demand that that speaker take down her words. Mm -hmm. And in fact, some of us did. Some of us said, take down the words. Well, guess what? There was no rules package. So you couldn't actually demand that there was order on the floor. So those are all the kinds of things that are in there. It also is a very clear agenda for what Republicans are going to do. It has in there the ability for Republicans to pass tax cuts for the wealthiest and by putting in place a a policy that essentially moves those kinds of pieces of legislation forward more quickly. So it really was their agenda for how they want to govern, both in terms of the logistics and in terms of the policy. The worst part of that congresswoman's speech was that she thought she was funny and she laughed at herself and then no one else did. And it was like, oh, girl, sit back down. (laughs) No, that's right. And the thing is that one of the key pieces, I said it, it tells you how you can take a speaker out. One of the key concessions that McCarthy made is that he is allowing for any member, any single member to be able to demand a motion to vacate. What does that mean? It means you can take the speaker out. It means you can call for a vote and one member could, if they're upset with what the speaker is doing, if they feel that they the speaker hasn't done what they want, they can stop the entire process of governing for the American people. And they can, again, turn the chamber into chaos. If a member calls for a vote like that, what majority of members have to vote to oust him? Well, it would be a simple majority. Oh, wow. Sucks for him. <laughs> Which means that, by the way, a Democrat could do it too, but you'd have to have a certain number of Republicans with you, but it could throw the entire chamber into chaos because if Democrats vote and there are four or five Freedom Caucus members, extreme mega Republicans who don't like what McCarthy is doing, let's say to pay America's bills or to fund government appropriations, they can throw them out. So the question really is how long can he last with those kinds of concessions? Somewhere on the cast of SNL, there's a white guy who's working real hard on his Kevin McCarthy impression because he's going to be in a lot of cold opens this season. So as chair of the House Progressive Caucus and now being in the minority, what are you hoping to achieve this Congress and how can progressives have an impact? Well, I think that there are two pieces to our work. And, you know, I'm proud that we are the largest progressive caucus ever. We're also incredibly diverse. We had 16 of our 18 endorsed candidates in this last election win their races. And so we have a very high ratio of being able to support and run good progressive candidates. We have seven progressives, by the way, who are in frontline districts, really tough districts, in some cases that Trump won in. And I think it just goes to the validity of our populist platform. So the inside work is going to be three things. One, we're going to have to be on massive defense, unfortunately. We're going to have to be an uh, opposition party, and we're going to have to stop the worst stuff that Republicans want to try and do. And we're going to also try, the second thing, is to find some areas where maybe we could work together. And we can use tools like something called a discharge petition, where if 218 members sign a discharge petition, a bill has to be brought to the floor for a vote. And so it's a way around the current leadership on something like the debt ceiling, which is essentially paying our bills. And then there's also antitrust legislation that has bipartisan support. Maybe there are things we could do to bring those pieces of legislation to the floor. It's a pretty slim set of things that we might be able to do in a bipartisan way, but we'll keep looking. 
And then the third is working with the White House on executive action. So that's going to be absolutely critical. But then there's also the outside game, right? Which is let's mobilize for 2024. Let's show people what a proposition party looks like, not just opposition, but proposition. We got so much done in the last two years with such slim majorities. And if we can get a bigger majority in the Senate, keep the White House and take back the House, we can get universal child care. We can get paid family leave. We can get so many things done, investments in housing, things that were in Build Back Better that we did not get done, but only because we were missing a couple of votes. We've already made the case. And I think that's what we need to pull people into, as well as showing them all the investments, capping the price of insulin, the infrastructure bill, the climate tax credits and the IRA. These are all things that are going to roll out over the next two years. We should be at every bridge opening. We should be talking to our seniors about how their prescription drug prices are going down just to show people what we've delivered. Do you think, Pramila, going into 2024, what does the Democratic Party need to do to prepare? What do you think at this point, knowing what the GOP strategy may be? Well, actually, that's a good question. What do you think the GOP strategy will be and how do we guard against it for 2024? Well, their strategy is strangely the same as what led to big losses for them in the last elections, but they're not going off of it. It's going to be anti-immigrant, xenophobia, racism. They're still looking to cut Social Security and Medicare. They want to give tax cuts to the wealthiest. They want to defund the FBI, even as they're putting forward a law enforcement resolution, which is just crazy because they're the ones who wouldn't even fund Capitol Police. So we know what their strategy is. They have a committee to defund, I call it the committee to defund the FBI and cover up the insurrection. This is the, uh, what they're calling the weaponization of government committee that Jim Jordan is going to lead. So we know what their playbook is. I think what we need to do is, first of all, point to the contrast on issues that are extremely popular across the country, Social Security and Medicare, abortion and women's reproductive health climate. These are all issues that are very, very popular in rural districts and urban districts and purple, red, blue, everything. And then I think the other strategy is we need to make sure we are not leaving behind anybody in the country. Every person, every place matters. Mm -hmm. We need a geographic strategy that shows how our industrial policy is bringing jobs back to America how we are mobilizing young people with our action on climate change and student debt cancellation, how our party is a party that values diversity for our Latino, our AAPI, all our other communities, our Black communities across the country. We really need to paint that very inclusive vision and make it clear that we're not leaving anybody on the table. We want, of course, the moderate Republicans who still believe in democracy and don't want to cover up an insurrection. (laughs) And we need our progressive base of young voters, of black and brown and indigenous voters, of women voters, because this is the Democratic Party, in my view, is the party of freedom, family and faith. And those are three things that I think we need to really push on. Hmm. Freedom, family and faith. Is uh, sounds a lot more winning than the Republican strategy of bad ideas, but louder. 
So we like to end on a fun question. We saw Katie Porter reading The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck on the House floor to pass her time. Incredible photo. (laughs) Have you been watching or reading anything you think our listeners should check out? Yeah. Well, you know, I'm a writer and a reader. And so I usually have my poetry, my fiction, and my nonfiction. So I'll put in a plug for The Beekeeper of Aleppo which is just a fabulous book, a novel, but it really gets at a lot of the struggles of immigration, of migration, and why people come seek refuge. I'll also put in a plug for a fabulous book I read by this human rights activist in Guam. I think it's called No Place for the Eight-Spotted Butterfly or something like that. No Country for Eight-Spot Butterflies. I had to write it down because I can never remember the title. But it's so beautiful and lyrical. And it's really about climate change and our responsibility on climate change. And then my friend V has a book that I'm reading the galley up because I'm doing a politics and prose thing with her called Reckoning. So it's not out yet, but I would really recommend it. E. Bensler, um, uh, and really a compilation of a lot of her work over time. Very cool. Well, Representative Jaipal, this was your third time on Hysteria. And the second time you were on was right after January 6, 2021. And now you're on again after foolishness at the Capitol. So we would love to have you back after something cool happens. So uh, let us know when something cool happens. We'll have you back and we'll talk about something cool instead of something not fun. You got it. I can't wait. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us and have a great day. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by IQ Bar. Power up your life with superior brain and body nutrition products from IQ Bar. Their plant protein bars are the perfect low-carb breakfast. Their IQ Mix zero-sugar hydration drinks replenish electrolytes. And their IQ Joe mushroom coffees will keep you focused all day long. Start each day right with IQ Bar's brain and body boosting bars, hydration mixes, and mushroom coffees. Their ultimate sampler pack includes all three. IQ Bar empowers doers with superior brain and body nutrition. All their products are entirely free from gluten, dairy, soy, GMOs, and artificial sweeteners. And today, Hysteria listeners get an exclusive offer of 20% off plus free shipping. Just text HYSTERIA to 64000. One thing I love about IQ Bar is, first of all, right now it's really dry where I am. Oh, okay. It is hard for me to stay hydrated. I just like, I'll just be going through my day and I'll be like, why am I so like... Parched. I'm parched. I'm in a bad mood. I feel like I'm going to pass out. And it's, ah, you got to drink some water. You got to stay hydrated. I really like their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks because it allows me to rehydrate myself at a time when I feel like the atmosphere is trying to take all my moisture away. Well, and sometimes you need more than just water. Sometimes you need more more than just water. I also love IQ bars because I love a portable breakfast. I love a grab-and-go breakfast, no dishes. Love something I can walk around holding and eating. I like something I can eat in my car without endangering the lives of me and every other motorist on the road. A breakfast burrito, (laughs) not, not the safest thing to eat behind the wheel. IQ bar, go ahead and do it. Good for you. Great ingredients. Helps you stay focused and alert throughout the day. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and you don't have to dirty any dishes. Refuel smarter with IQ Bar's Ultimate Sampler Pack. That's seven IQ Bars, four IQ Mix sticks, and four IQ Joe sticks. 
And now our special podcast listeners get 20% off all IQ Bar products plus get free shipping. To get your 20% off, just text Hysteria to 64000. Get your discount. Text Hysteria to 64000. That's H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A to 64000. Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. This episode of Hysteria is brought to you by Viore. Need the perfect Mother's or Father's Day gift? Check out Viore Performance Apparel. Drawing inspo from the coastal California lifestyle, Viore's products inspire others to live vibrant, active lives. I love that they're calling this the coastal California lifestyle. I will embrace that instead of what I thought it was, which was the I only want to wear comfortable clothes lifestyle. Yeah. I have to. I refuse to be uncomfortable I refu- if I want to be productive. <laughs> I refuse to be uncomfortable, but sometimes I have to look like I belong in a respectable place lifestyle, which is like yeah. Viore is perfect for it because they the clothes look fantastic. They fit great. They are so comfortable. I lie down in mine all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Especially, Erin, the women's performance joggers. They have a slim but relaxed fit and are designed with dream knit stretch fabric. I love my joggers. I've slept in mine. I've slept in them. Really? You don't get hot? No. They're very, like, on oh. a, it's like a couch nap. You know, you have like a, oh yeah. you've got like maybe a half an hour in the afternoon. You're like, ooh, I've got a like small break. I'm very tired. I'm going to just like lay down for 20 minutes. It's yeah. Perfect. Perfect for couch okay. napping. Joggers. I love the leggings. I can work out in them. I can do my errands in them. I can wear them with a proper top to a business meeting. It is not a problem. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you probably could. Just put yeah, a, a totally. blazer and like— Denim shirt. Denim, denim shirt, oh, blazer, yeah. leggings. So easy. 100%. And, of course, the men's core shorts. They have a classic athletic fit, falling just above the knee, while the Sunday performance joggers are made from recycled performance stretch fabric. I got my dad some men's core shorts. He wears them to mow the lawn. It's perfect. He is, like, I think my my dad is one of those people that just, like, beats the crap out of his clothes. He'll wear them until they're— they look like a security blanket that a 30-year-old yep. still has where it's just like a ball of string and you're like, um, Our dads are the same. Yeah, yeah. But um, my dad has had his for like a couple years now and I think I, I saw him wearing them the other week when I met up with um, family on a, on a short weekend trip and they still looked great. It was like, Dad, your clothes still look new. <laughs> so fancy. Viore is offering Hysteria listeners 20% off your first purchase. Get some of the most comfy and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash hysteria. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash hysteria. You'll also enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash hysteria and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. Guys, it's been a rough year. It's going to get rougher, and you deserve a little treat for not going insane yet. You could head to the local tiki bar and tell the bartender, do your worst. But we have a better idea for you, which is pick out something from the Crooked store. The store is stocked with tons of new merch. It's perfect for the spring. And classics like the Friend of the Pod tees that you'll be wearing long after the next administration or the next fascist dictatorship, depending on how things go. Pick up a new tee for the warm weather ahead, a mug that'll remind you to stay involved this election year, or a hat celebrating your favorite pod. Go to crooked.com slash store to shop. And welcome back. Alyssa, I know you're like the resident royalist in our group. 
Have you read Harry's new book? I have not. Do you plan to? No. Why? Too much. I can't handle it. (laughs) I mean, Jesus Christ. (laughs) I mean, but it is bringing up a lot, I think, of of issues, both with like the royal family, but then, uh, you know, in families and interpersonal relationships in general. And we might as well talk about it because everybody's talking about it. And I think we can probably have a more interesting conversation. Oh, I didn't say I wasn't talking about it. I'm I'm reading about it. I'm just not reading the book. Okay. Yeah, it's one of those books that I'm like, but why do I need to read it now? We don't have to. The internet did it for us. <laughs> about what's in it. Exactly. All right. So we've got a great panel today to talk about some of these issues and, and things that stem from them. Up first, if you spent the holidays watching cringe rom-coms, our next panelist podcast, I Love a Lifetime Movie, is for you. It's Megan Gailey. Hi, everyone. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Megan. Uh, what's new with you? Any anything going on in in Shay, Megan? But just teething and swimming lessons, and my house a mess. And my parents were here for three weeks, and so I finally oh. have my home um, back to myself. And you know, just trying to not wash down the hill that I live on. <laughs> That's one of those things that um, I always find to be a point of tension because my parents will be like, well, come and visit. You won't even know we're there. You don't need to. We'll stay for two weeks. And mm. it's like, no, I will know you're there. Like, I will. Like, you can't just know. Yeah. So my favorite phrase since having a child is there's no such thing as free help. <laughs> so I love help. Um, and I'm I'm happy to feed. One of my friends described it as run, she felt like she was running a summer camp and a super yacht. Like it's like, well, you do need to feed these elders that are caring for our children, but then you also for some reason need to be ATT tech support for them too. And a car dealership <laughs> and ooh, a pharmacist. You know, it's a lot, but I love them dearly and they do listen to this podcast. So hello. <laughs> Um, I love your parents too. They're lovely people. Um, I'm I'm glad they came to visit. Yeah, and it was I'm nice. also glad that everybody gets to enjoy their respective spaces now exactly. after a visit. Exactly. Rounding out the panel today, she is making her London comedy debut from January 24th to the 28th at the UK Soho Theater. Karen Deal, welcome to Hysteria. Thank you so much. Uh Megan, I might be hitting you up on those car dealerships. Absolutely. Here to help. She's already done the research. Karen, you've had a bit of a wild month, right? Wild month. Yeah. Can you tell our listeners like what happened to you? Because I, I want to talk about it with you. I'm glad you're here. You look great. Thank in, you so In much. the tiny square that I can yes. see you on. Um, how, how are you doing? Like, can you let everyone know like what happened and how you're doing? Yeah, yeah. I saw Gailey, I saw you. We saw each other, yeah. right? When you were like, yeah, mm-hmm. and looking hopefully a little better. Um, yeah, just before the holidays started, I went to a wine bar, as you do. feel like this is relatable content. I'm talking to three white women. Um, and... <laughs> And then we we went like and then it was like 11 o'clock. My friend was like, oh, I want some cigarettes. So we went to a 7-Eleven. And when we on the way out, there was just a guy standing there um, who just didn't look super well. But he just came up behind my like left shoulder and just like smashed a bottle into my face. Um, But just unprovoked, like totally unprovoked. And just um, yeah. And then my friend was like, run, run. And then we ran very Forrest Gump. Um, 
and oh just God. yeah yeah and it was a it was an ordeal i mean that was like a couple of fractures and like you know um was very lucky that like everyone else was very nice they caught the guy um went to court everyone else was very nice like the police everyone except for one plastic surgeon who i don't think listens to this pod my fellow was terrific um i just think they take a different hipaa oath if i'm being honest with you the way they speak to you you know um you're like what can a plastic surgeon say to hurt your feelings when you go in because there's two fractures in your nose because your face got hit with a bottle like i'm a comedian so i said I said, the least that can happen out of this is I can come out of this prettier, you know, making a joke. Yeah. And this man just looked me straight in the face and goes, that is going to cost you extra. <laughs> <gasps> what? Yeah. <laughs> I'm oh, sorry. And he, is, and he wasn't, doing, he wasn't no. doing a bit back to you. He was not doing a bit, Megan. He was not doing a bit. And I was like, that bottle <laughs> hit me in the face, but that comment hit me in the spirit. That was sad. Wow. Yeah. I say, oh, sir, you need oh to throw God. in a complimentary pair of tits now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Do that surgery where you oh take my, my stomach God. fat and make them bigger boobs. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, so you, okay, so you were attacked randomly by somebody you'd never, ever seen before in your life. Yeah. Did you have to go to the hospital? Like, what What did the, What did you have to do after it happened? Yeah, it was like a paramedic came. Then we went to the ER. The police took a statement. My friend identified the guy. The next day, we went to urgent care, had to get a CT scan, like 13 hours in the uh, emergency room because it's two specialists, right? The thing they're most concerned about is your eye because you can, you know, it's mm. close to your brain and stuff. I'm, I put a doctor on TV, Aaron, so it's going to get pretty technical. <laughs> um, it's close to your brain and stuff. It's close to your brain and stuff. So they be worrying. Um, eyes very sensitive. And, and so, yeah. And then the Jewel Sci Eye Institute is at UCLA. Uh, they were very nice. There's a follow-up appointment tomorrow. And then they set up a with a plastic surgery because the nose was fractured in two places. So it was kind of like pointing to the right. And so they kind of uh, oh push, push that in. So you have to have a surgery for that. Oh. And then you might have to have one more. Oh. We'll see how it goes. So, um, yeah, it wasn't like, look, I would say in terms of a way to spend a holiday, uh, do not recommend. Um, mm -hmm. Like, but it was like, I did feel really supported during it. I wasn't by myself. My mom flew out, you know, um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, and just have gotten a lot of very like nice messages from people. I mean, I think the thing, even when we saw him at the preliminary hearing, it was like everyone at like the DA, the defense attorney, everyone else, even the police officers, the police officers were incredible. Like they were, this was one of my best experiences with the LAPD. They were like, they were, they were kind and competent and compassionate, like really like, like crushed exactly what you would expect. I know it was a very like, I felt wildly lucky. They were so, and they were there for the preliminary hearing. Like, and literally it was just like, you have one guy who is unwell and can make everyone's lives like so much more difficult. And I was like, oh, and when you give that person resources, then they become the president of the United States and it's everyone's fucking problem, you know? And it just felt like this like mm -hmm. weird microcosm, you know? So, um, mm -hmm. so yeah. I am so glad that you seem to be on the up and up. Um, I'm also really glad to hear you're still going to do the London comedy stint. That's really exciting. I know you've uh, you've been 
talking about it for a while. We've been talking about it for a while. So I'm glad you're going to be able to, to still do that. I'm glad that he at least had enough respect for your schedule that he gave you enough like lead time so that you can still go to London. You I, know? I think that I don't know if it was in his plan, but when he didn't show up for the first preliminary hearing, you were just like, is it me? Like, why aren't you there? Like, you know, like you go you like you bang me and then you ghost me like this is. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> ugly. Classic man. Uh-huh. I was just like you start being like, oh, is he going to show up today? Butterflies, you know, um. <laughs> no, but it, the nice thing is to feel support in in the city, and I felt a lot of it. And his some hysteria fans reached out. It was very sweet. Oh, that's good. Um, well, uh, I uh, keep me updated. I still owe you like cookies. I have to come over and bring you some cookies. Yes, um, wine would be great. I love that for us. Cookies and <laughs> wine. Yeah, you won't. You shouldn't have to go to another wine bar for at least a couple of years. Your friends <laughs> should be obligated to bring you bring the wine to you. All right, Kieran, I'm going to pivot now. You are our resident uh, Londoner. You were born in the UK. Hello. (laughs) Exactly. You're always saying that. Hello. What's all this then? Et cetera. Marmalade. (laughs) Totally. Totally marmalade. Um, Kieran, (laughs) what do you make of Prince Harry's new memoir where he sort of airs dirty laundry about his family? Like, how do, do, do you care about royal family drama? I have always been, I'm the opposite of Alyssa. I'm like very anti-royal family, just generally speaking. They didn't pay taxes for the longest time. Like they didn't pay taxes. Do you understand? And then there was the whole like colonization thing. The monarchy is very, you know, representative of like, you know, tea spices trade routes, which we don't love. Um, That being said, last week I wasn't able to join you, but you had a whole episode on like uh, Nepo babies. And I was like, oh, my God, like Harry is the ultimate Nepo baby, really, because it's like Mm. on the one hand, it's like, oh, I want privacy. Oh, I want to like live my life and like get away from all of this drama, which I have been subjected to my entire life. On the other hand, it's like. I have nothing else to make me money. I have nothing else to talk about. And I will weaponize that and drag myself back into the spotlight when you wanted privacy. Just the innate hypocrisy of that duality just leaves like a bad taste in my mouth. Also, why are you talking about your frostbitten dick? Agree. TMI. (laughs) Wait, what? His penis was frostbitten. You didn't see that? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, for oh. William and Kate's wedding. Megan Gailey yeah. to translate. Oh. Yes. Big, <laughs> big frostbit. And I think it's probably, having not read the book, I, I'm sure it's not like a whole chapter of like chapter six, frostbit and penis. I'm sure it's like mentioned, but it was definitely one of the uh, the headlines that was grabbed out for It was promotion. a real pull quote. Real yeah. pull quote. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Megan, <laughs> I like when I was reading about, you know, this whole Prince Harry's book. And I think Kieran and I kind of agree on the fact that it seems like he doesn't really have anything else to capitalize on and he wants to continue to make as much money off of it as he can. Um, But Megan, the the bigger issue that came up for me when I was reading it was like, whoa, he is talking so much shit about his family. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, as all of us here um, have been public facing people who weave in our own personal stories in what we produce creatively. And our personal stories involve interactions with family members sometimes that aren't great. Mm -hmm. So like Megan, like where do you draw the line when you're talking about like family? Do you think it's like unbecoming for a person to air that much family dirty laundry in a book or like, 
did that feel off-putting to you? My family would say I need to draw the line sooner. Um, I <laughs> tend to, yeah, I, I, it's definitely something that comes up in my stand-up a lot. And now since having a child, I have been like, oh, I have an obligation to him to not talk so much about his birth and hit and like, did I have him circumcised or not? Or like all the different, like really personal things. I, I feel with Harry that I end up having some amount of, and I'm not sure if it's sympathy or empathy because he did lose his mom in such a tragic way that was so public. And that even if he didn't want to be in the public eye, he really has no way out of it. Um, Mm. and I, and I also think it's one of those things. And I kind of felt this way with the, with the Will Smith slap of like, this is a situation I will literally never be in. Like, I am never going to be the prince of England (laughs) who is married to this woman. I'm never going to be Meghan Markle. And, and sometimes I find the criticism of them to be very like, well, I wouldn't do this. It's like, bitch, you live in Cleveland. So of course you wouldn't do it. It's, we're, it's. It's apples to shit at this point, you know, like work. And I love, and I'm not saying Cleveland shit. I, I rock so hard for Cleveland would move there in a heartbeat, but I, I do think he's giving too much, but in terms of like, I don't like to see families estranged, even if they're like evil families, it's still like, well, you know, they deserve to have a holiday together. And I think what Harry has has done and and maybe the bridge was already burned is that he's not going to be able to go back to them now like there's been too much hurt and too much public and too much like mudslinging that he has further isolated himself and Megan away from who for all of their shortcomings and and evilness and bad history is his family mm-hmm. and that's sad to me Alyssa you're nodding what do you think no I agree with that I I mean, I think that the interesting thing about it was sort of the point that we touched on earlier, which is that the whole issue has been like, we want our privacy. And in an effort to get privacy, they have overexposed themselves uh, to a level beyond, I think, anything we've seen in a long time. But um, also, just to go back to Kieran, um, the royal family, eh, it was really the queen who I was kind of fascinated by. And also, I mean, she has her issues too, but... The writing this book when she could have still been alive when it came out, that would have killed her for sure. Oh, good point. The one thing that does make me feel sympathy for him is that title spare. Like imagine growing up with this idea of you're the spare, like that, like you're the spare heir to the throne. I mean, that for like an adult is one thing, but that for like a child, I was like, ooh, yeah, it made me go rough. Oof, rough. I think that like I, the part that made me feel sad was not the stuff about Charles or Camilla. I mean, I don't think anything was shocking that we read. I mean, it doesn't surprise me that Camilla was like leaking stories of on them to protect herself. That yeah. doesn't shock me. I feel I felt sad. I felt some emotion about like how he really stuck the shiv into his brother just because that to me is like his real family. It's like just the two of them. Yeah. So I felt bad about that. Um, and also like Come on, really? You're gonna blame them for the Nazi costumes? Let's let's move on. Like that—that that seemed a, a bridge far for me. It, it does feel like this has sort of 
extinguished all of the goodwill that was out. Like if if you took the temperature the day after that Oprah interview and you took the temperature right now, they're drastically different. And and I don't know, Karen, you brought up a point that I've been thinking of too. It's like, does he just not have any other way to make money? Like he they have an expensive lifestyle. They do need security. Like we do know that was taken away from them. That is this just a money grab for for survival at this point. Well, and like the Oprah interview was so compelling. I felt like it was the right amount of like gas on the foot break, you know, of of what their private life, what their struggles were. And I was so sympathetic. But now it's just like there's so much out there. It's like, good for you. You got your money. I wish you all the best. But like there are real problems in this world now. And this is just this feels like a lot. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I, I found it. I found it like I think I'm on the same page as you, Megan, where like after the Oprah interview, I was like, oh, my gosh, these poor people, the royal yeah. family is inhumane to the people inside of it, even like it's a terrible institution. And then, you know, as uh, the the Megan and Harry saturation has increased, I'm, I, I tried to watch the Netflix series unwatchable. It's <laughs> like I do not care. You know, like, have you ever been out to dinner with like, I don't know, one of your partner's friends and it's like him and his wife and you've never really hung out with them before. And you're like, so how'd you meet? And they tell this like really, really long story about a really boring way to meet. And they act like it's the most exciting story in the world. And it's like, not really. Like that could have been five minutes shorter. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, online. Cool. I don't need to know anything else. You know, great. How'd you meet online? Um, I just one thing that I that I've always struggled with in writing, like the way that I the things that I write and all that is it is hard to find a balance between telling the truth about my life and my experiences and not embarrassing people who maybe wouldn't want all of that stuff out about them. Mm -hmm. And like Kieran, I wonder how you navigate that as a stand-up. Megan talked about it a little bit, but I wonder how you navigate that. I think the big thing is, like, I remember it's, like, I think stand-up is still fiction, right? Because you're you're taking, mm-hmm. I don't know if you feel this way, Gailey, but, like, it's, like, to me, it's, like, you're taking a story and then you're choosing to add a twist and a point of view to it. But I also will, like... I will run like if there's anyone very close in my life and there's a bunch of stuff about them in the standup, I like definitely let people hear it. And if and and it's like if they don't feel comfortable with any of that stuff, I take it out because I just don't think it's worth my, you can write another joke. You know what I mean? It's like there's you can't repair, you know, relationships with certain people in your life. You know, can I ask one question mm-hmm. that I find myself wondering about? It's like about about. What about the Meghan Markle of all of this with um, like what what degree? I mean, Meghan, you're a Meghan. So it's like <laughs> what degree is there like a Meghan factor propelling like, you know, the actions of this book, the actions of like the division? Do you know what I'm saying? Like the, you know, I heard one argument in like the L.A. Times that it's like maybe his move for privacy is oversaturation. And I just don't think they're that. Oh, I just don't think they're that. <laughs> savvy i guess but Mm -hmm. like that that's interesting or taking back your own story when like the tabloids have been making money off of you 
all this time. So why shouldn't you get to make money off of it? And I was like, that's such an American way to think, <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. um, but I found myself curious, like, how much is this being like driven by this, you know, this new relationship that would really influence you and the way that you operate in the world? Megan, your name is the same as hers. <laughs> yeah, Megan, what do you think? I don't, I mean, I, I hesitate to be critical of her because that's just not how I naturally feel. I also feel like the people that are critical of her are like not the best crew, you know, like it's like, oh, I don't know if I want to be in bed with Pierce Morgan on opinions. Um, (laughs) But I I have seen people say of of at least this last round of of stuff and, and and a fair amount of criticism is coming from black people from African-Americans being like, you, Megan is upset that she wasn't welcomed into this family. She wasn't, she's not upset about all of their atrocities. She would have folded into them if they had just been nice to her specifically. And, and I'm not saying those are my words. I've just seen that. And I did think, huh, I, I guess I get that that's a, a valid, way to look at it. Like I've seen black comics in a funny way go, Megan didn't know she was black until she tried to join the Royal family. Uh You know, this funny, fun fact, Jenna Friedman went to college with Megan Markle. Oh, I know a gal that went to college with her. I mean, yeah, she's a smarty. She went to Northwestern. Yeah, she went to went to Northwestern, and she was in a sorority apparently. And Jenna was like, I can't pledge this sorority because look at this beautiful perfect woman who is like, I don't fit in here. But, uh, you know, I think that on that level, Kieran, it's sort of a, not a universal story, but the story of like a person marrying into a family, feeling rejected by the family that they're marrying into and having their partner choose them instead of choosing their mother or choosing their father or choosing, you know, I, I think that that is actually kind of a, like, Kind of a like a heroic move on the part of Harry, in in my opinion, because I think a lot of marital problems in a lot of families are caused by one partner not choosing their partner, like choosing their like their mother and father over their partner or that pushing what their mother and father want against their partner's wishes. And so there's something that's really compelling, I think, about a man who's like, nope, I pick my wife. Because I think that's rarer than it should be. In my, I like, and then I can literally feel like the South Asian in me being like, I like just this, like, n- you can't, what? You can't just like abandon mm-hmm. everyone who is everything you are from. Like, I don't kind of give a, f- like, I could, like, I don't give a fuck what they did. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, yeah, yeah it's a family. It's big. Mm-hmm. It's complicated. It's messed up. Everyone's a mess. But like, and also th- those are like the people that you're from. Those are the the immigrants who were refugees who like moved and worked for five pounds an hour in a factory. And like, now you're just going to be like, sorry, wish you were, you know, cooler. Like, sorry, you're not more, you know what I mean? Like after everything they did for you, that the callousness of that. And obviously like, I'm not a Mm -hmm. Royal uh, person either. I'm basically the Cleveland of uh, women. So, (laughs) you know, what do I know? I will also never Um, be in that position either. Right. It's just so isolating, you know, because it's like we know that I don't believe she has a relationship with her father anymore. And so her mother seems lovely. So it's like, okay, well, we got we got her mom. And then and and he has 
no one. And, and like, I think the middle ground is you try and set some boundaries and go, mom, if you do X, Mm -hmm. Y, and Z, then I'm not going to be able to communicate with you. I think that's probably nearly impossible to do and (laughs) to set a boundary with the queen of England. Like there is no such thing. (laughs) So, (laughs) oh yeah. Who disrespects boundaries more than uh, (laughs) an imperialist? Yeah. So it's Uh, just literally in the title. it's such an extreme situation where it's like, it may just, this may, ha- he may have felt this was his only option. Who knows? I don't know. Mm-hmm. You hear me justifying. <laughs> I, I will also say about, about Megan though, this isn't like, this isn't the public school teacher that is, and I haven't read a lot on it. Like, but I'm just saying this isn't, she's not a public school teacher like Diana was who like kind of got swept up by Charles, etc. This is a, this is an actress. Do you know what I mean? This is an actress who had the family relocated to to California. You know what I'm saying? Like there's something it's it's a different like I would imagine there's a different brain inside of her head. Do you know what I mean? Then like mm-hmm. the like the the teacher from uh, England is my is my guess. That's just my guess mm-hmm. after having lived in the uh, saturated hellscape that we live in. Um, for so long, you know. I think you're trying to say some of these actresses, they ain't right. <laughs> I'm not saying all of them. I'm saying some of them are cool. Somebody, some of these actresses ain't right. <laughs> oh, I think what actors and actresses have to go through in order to, the amount of rejection and humiliation and cruelty that they have to go through just to pursue their career, just to live their lives. I understand why so many of them are so messed up. Because it is so, like, it's such an inhumane industry. She should have just thought of Prince Charles and Camilla as casting directors and gone, okay, they don't like me. I'll move on to the next. (laughs) I mean, you know what's funny, Kieran? You're talking about family estrangement and, like, you know, how could you turn your back on people that, like, raised you? And I think that you're, you know, and there's, like, a cultural element to your belief around like sticking with your family, no matter what happens. I also think there's something generational going on. Um, I was like watching, I had like the weather channel or Fox news on in a hotel room. Um, and there was a commercial on the TV channel for like aimed at parents whose like kids won't talk to them. It was like hmm. family is straight. It was like Jesus would talk to his family. Like you can't cut your kids, you know, like you need to make peace with your family. It was like, oh, there's like a lot of people, Fox News moms and dads whose kids won't talk to them. And they're completely like confused about why it's happening, because I think in their their belief is like, look, no matter what I do, no matter what my beliefs are, no matter how I treat my kids, they have to love me. They have to hang out with me. They have to take care of me when I get old. And now there's like a new generation that's like, "Mm, actually, I don't have to do any of that. And there's this really crazy divide. Um, Alyssa, have you seen any of this stuff that's like family estrangement? Your kids won't talk to you or anything like that? I haven't, honestly. (laughs) Oh, my God. Really? (laughs) No. You guys, I've been very offline lately other than uh, other than a little Instagram. I'm just like, though it doesn't surprise me, mm-hmm. I'm sure. I mean, after the past four years, there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of beef yeah. among families. And, and having a different opinion now isn't like 
it seems like having a different opinion now isn't just having a different opinion. It's like a line in the sand. It's like you're right or you're wrong. You're with me or you're against me. So it doesn't surprise, it doesn't surprise me that this is an issue for families. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just, I, I just think that the, the Harry book overall kind of the reason that it's interesting, even if you don't care about Royals is that I think that there's something at the root of it that is a little bit more universal than his crazy life, which is that, you know, there's always tension between different generations. And how do you navigate that tension? And how do you navigate, you know, bringing somebody into the family who's from a different cultural background? And what how does that play out? And and here's how it can play out in the worst possible way. And here's how it can play out in a, in a better possible way. It, it just it reads to me kind of like a worst case scenario. Uh, everything I've read about it, I'm like, oh, my God. I am really glad for all of the disagreements I have with my family. Sometimes I'm really glad it's not me. Yeah. And they're parents. So it's like they (laughs) they better they better play play the rules. Uh, What am I trying to say? I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but it's like this. The I guess, you know, on selling the OC, they were like them tables. They do turn, you know, it's like Archie in 20 years, maybe like, dad, fuck off. Why'd you write that book? I'm going, I'm going to uncle Will's house. And I was like, right. I just went through like a massive, like trauma. Right. And it's like, there's a lot of estrangement, like in my mom's side of the family or whatever. And it was like, Every single person reached out. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's also going to be times when, like, yeah, he said this and she said this. And, like, I didn't like that this thing happened. And then, like, shit hits the fan. And who's really there for you? And, like, life isn't, doesn't, like, last forever. And, like, all of this can be taken away. So, like, what do you choose to prioritize? And so it's so interesting to see, like, you know, one of my mom's brothers. And they, they, they don't get along super well. Like, calling and like making sure like do you need anything like who are those like ride or die you know you always will talk about like Ryan you talk about Alyssa my ride or die but it's like who are your real like ride or dies at the end of the day and it's like there is something you know there is something about like again when shit hits the fan who do you have kind of vibes that I think Mm -hmm. I don't think that the family is permanently estranged because life is long and shit will happen and then people will realize that like You know, that, you know, whatever Camilla said that got leaked to the thing is like, you know, whatever. My kid has a genetic disorder or whatever. You know what I mean? Like there's somebody needs a kidney. Mm -hmm. It's going to be like the stakes Mm -hmm. will be higher and some of those things will just like just be gone. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Over Christmas, I spoke to my mom's sister for the first time in like 12 years and the reason that I hadn't been speaking to her was because she was cruel to my mother like 12 years ago. And I was just like, you know what? Nope, not going to have you in my life. Not going to let you treat me like a person you can use against my mom, your sister. And over Christmas, after their mother died a couple years ago, which, by the way, I was estranged from her up until she was literally on her deathbed. And when I called her and she couldn't talk to me. I was just like, why did I just not, why did I not speak to her until now? You know, it was like, why did I, why did I, I'm not mad anymore. I just was continuing to not talk to you because I had not been talking to you. But after their mother died, they reconciled in like going through their old house and like, Mm. you know, kind of tying up all the loose ends. And um, I spoke to her for the first time and it was just like, I had this feeling of like, why didn't I do this sooner? You know, and, and like, 
I think that there are definitely toxic families. That's a real thing. And that you don't owe anybody a relationship if their presence in your life is aggressively harmful to your well-being. You don't owe anybody a relationship. But at the same time, I think that those real examples of that are really few and far between. And it's almost never worth totally cutting somebody off for the long haul, you know? No, I agree. We'll leave on that thought. When we come back, we are going to do Sanity Corner slash I Feel Petty. Guys, it's been a rough year. It's going to get rougher, and you deserve a little treat for not going insane yet. You could head to the local tiki bar and tell the bartender, do your worst. But we have a better idea for you, which is pick out something from the Crooked store. The store is stocked with tons of new merch. It's perfect for the spring. And classics like the friend of the pod tees that you'll be wearing long after the next administration or the next fascist dictatorship, depending on how things go. Pick up a new tee for the warm weather ahead, a mug that'll remind you to stay involved this election year, or a hat celebrating your favorite pod. Go to crooked.com slash store to shop. And welcome back. We are almost at the end of the show, but we would not send you on your way this week without getting into things that are making us feel petty or bringing us sanity. So, uh, Sandy Petty. Alyssa, do you want to go first? Yes. I had an interaction that I didn't enjoy, um, so it's petty. (laughs) But as you guys know, I drive a Subaru. My Subaru has many bumper stickers on it. And I was at the grocery store parking lot and I was coming out and I noticed two people who were heckling my bumper stickers and saying, what an asshole. That's what they were saying. What an asshole. And I was like, what? Like, okay. And I get closer to the car. Like I could see them. And I was like, oh my God, I don't want to get into it with anybody. And I get there and like they're car next to me has, you guys, stickers I have never seen before. It was like a cartoon that says, I heart. And it was like the, you know, like the cartoon of Donald Trump's hair swoop. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like the one that they all had. And they had all these, look, these Trump stickers that I had never seen before. And it was like Trump 2024 and blah, blah, blah. And all this stuff. I'm a Trump gal. That's what one of them said. I'm a Trump gal. And I thought to myself... I would never get out of my car, look at your car and just sit there and be like, what an asshole. It just I don't know. It's not even that big a deal. I just it has stuck with me for days. And I'm like, you don't know me. You literally. And also, I have a bumper sticker on my car that says hug a farmer. Like, what about that is asshole? Like my Grateful Dead stickers. I have one that says Bernie beats Trump. And guess what? Bernie didn't even make it all the way to the end. So like, the fuck did I do to you? (laughs) Oh, that sucks. So anyway, you guys, all that to say that at some point when I in 10 years, when I upgrade the Subaru, I think I'm just going to keep it to like hug a farmer bumper stickers because people can't be trusted to just it's a collage on the back of my car. It's nothing else. Instead, they turned it into who I was as a person. I thought that was demented. That's super demented. That's not cool. I thought so. It was not cool. Also, guess what? They didn't put their their grocery cart back. Now, see, okay, that, yeah. that is, that's are, an that's asshole. Bad. Those are Trump voters. Those are classic Trump voters. Put your cart yep. back. We were 
two rows over that from really the return. pisses That's me all off. I'm saying. That really gets in my craw. It's uh. a collage on the back of my car. Nothing else needs to be a bumper sticker on your next car, too. <laughs> it's a collage. <laughs> Karen, I'll, you know uh, what? I'm going to send you a picture just so you can get a I want, I, yes. Of what my car did to make them call me an asshole. I bet they're bad tippers, too. <laughs> I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, they're 100% bad tippers. Yeah. There's like things that go together. Yeah. 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 It's like, it's like, if you yeah. like this, then you will also like this on Amazon. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Totally. Um, okay. Uh, Kieran. Why don't you go next? I'm wearing my petty sweater because it's so cozy. Um, but <laughs> I wanted to do a little a little sanny. My sanny is, um, I, I would say, if you have to do something hard, uh, try to make it fun. Um, that's what I was trying to do during this whole break. Um, so, like, the first time we went to the courthouse, like, I had, like, a big black eye. And so a bunch of friends came out to the courthouse and we... We, they, we all wore eye patches and like we were upset that the <laughs> hospital being so expensive didn't have any like we're like no bar cart, no charcuterie. So we like brought a charcuterie <laughs> like outside of the courthouse. <laughs> so everyone was wearing like eye patches and like eating salami. And it was like this is a shitty situation. And also it's nice that like I can see these people and like look at this little baby with her eye patch on. One of my friends has a baby. So like, Aww. do you know what I mean? And it like. And then it's like you try to make a little bit of a, a nice memory with some people that you care about, like make something that's shitty, like less shitty because you're doing it with some people that you like and just trying to have a little bit of fun with it. So that would be my that's what I tried to do this like last couple of weeks. So it helps keep you a little more sanny. That is great. And uh, I want a plate of meat and cheese now. I, I think that would be a you great threw a lunch picnic. for me. You threw a picnic. picnic. Pick courthouse picnic. Uh, Come over, Ryan. We still got cheese. We yeah. still got meats over here, baby. I'm there. I'm I'm halfway out the door already. Um, okay, I'm gonna do my next, and it is uh petty. Um, it's about Gwen Stefani. So mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, Gwen no. Stefani, Lord yeah, have mercy. She was sort of uh she, you know, she was kind of grandfathered in. She got away with a lot of stuff when her star was on the rise that absolutely would not have flown even a few years later. So uh, a cultural appropriation-y stuff where she was very aggressively kind of wearing other cultures like costumes, profiting off of it, and then and then shedding it and, and moving on. Um, but she kind of stayed away from it post Harajuku girl era 2008 she was she released Love Angel Music Baby which was this Har- Harajuku girl themed album with a persona and she had like these four Japanese women that like went around with her and was photo it was like very for for people that are on the younger side listening just go ahead and like google some photos of that it was a it was a wild time culturally um anyway so she sort of like skated past that and never really got asked to answer for it or anything like that. She did an interview with Allure this week. Uh, the person who interviewed her was uh, Allure's senior editor, Jessa Marie Kalaor. And I, I think I'm pronouncing her last name correctly. She's a Filipino woman. Um, so she asked Gwen Stefani during this interview if she had learned anything from the, uh, the, the whole Harajuku girl cultural appropriation thing. Um, 
And uh, she responds, I'm reading an, an excerpt from the article, which we'll link in show notes. So this is uh, J- Jessa Marie Callor's words. Uh, but I also included a question about what she felt she may have learned from Harajuku lovers. Considering its praise, backlash, and everything in between, she responded by telling me a story she shared with the press before about her father's job at Yamaha, which had him traveling between their home in California and Japan for 18 years. And then Gwen Stefani gave a long quote about that ended with her saying, I said, my God, I'm Japanese and I didn't know it. Um, and then later in the piece, uh, the piece, oof, it's it gets so bad. Like Gwen could have just been like, yeah, you know, I had a lot of growing. I had a lot of learning to do. I really appreciated the culture and I thought what I was doing was was appropriate. <laughs> but I see now that, you know, it it relied on another culture like a costume. Bam, bim, bam, boom. All done, Gwen. You did it. You escaped. But uh, she didn't do that. This is uh, also from the interview. I spent 32 minutes in conversation with Stefani, many of them devoted to her lengthy answer to my question about Harajuku lovers. In that time, she said more than once that she is Japanese. Allure's social media associate, who is Asian and Latina, was also present for the interview, and we were left questioning what we'd heard. Maybe she misspoke again and again. During our interview, Stefani asserted twice that she was Japanese and once that she was a little bit of an Orange County girl, a little bit of a Japanese girl, a little bit of an English girl. Surely she didn't mean it literally or didn't know what she was saying. A representative for Stefani reached out the next day, indicating that I had misunderstood what Stefani was trying to convey. Allure later asked Stefani's team for an on-the-record comment or clarification on these remarks, and they declined to provide a statement or participate in a follow-up interview. Gwen! W-Y-D! What are you doing? Aaron, what when I read that article this morning, I was like, what is this? Okay, my dad's biggest client was Kraft, and he commuted back and forth to Wisconsin, and I went to school in Wisconsin. That doesn't even remotely make me from Wisconsin. <laughs> like, what? She could have used it as such a moment, and it was like, it was like reading Janet from Another Planet give an interview. It was, it was absolutely ins- insane. Yeah. She's one of those people that were always like, wow, she looks so young. She's aging backwards. And it's like her personality is elderly, though. Um, The things she says are geriatric. Yeah, that is some that is some like Y2K era vintage opinions. Yes. Girl. Yeah. Do not have Blake Shelton educating you. On cultural appropriation. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> the allure piece, I think, is is really um really takes pains to explain why the specific type of cultural appropriation Gwen did was hurtful to Asian Americans. And it's definitely worth reading. Like I said, we'll link it in the show notes. But I could not believe that a celebrity who has been famous for that long would be so unable to read the room. It was just, it is. It, and it's like Allure. Yeah. Allure's not trying to do a hit piece. Yeah. She's trying to have a nice right. afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> she hit herself. Yeah. <laughs> I can see like the bubble of like the bubble of yes men. Like like Gwen Stefani has been famous for so long that it's just like, yeah. this bitch isn't on the planet. Like she's not on earth, no. guys. Mm-hmm. She's living somewhere else altogether like I don't know where she is but there's people all around her telling her she's great you're pretty you're great you're pretty you're oh of course you make sense not there's no you know what I mean like I don't I don't know if those people are on the same like we're not in the same reality it's very you know 
It's very spare yeah. in a way. The t- her team was like, did you say you were Japanese? And she's like, of course. And they're like, all right, we got to reach back out. We yeah, yeah, reach yeah, back. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah we'll exactly. Back. We'll circle yeah. back. We'll circle back. We'll circle back. We'll circle back. When? No, go get your facial. No, but go do whatever know, you're doing to reverse you know, your aging. When they, when her team reached back out to her and was like, girl, did you say you were Japanese? And she was like, yes. Girl, do you think you're Japanese? Yes. yes. They're like, don't Just reply don't. to Allure. Yeah. We're yeah, yeah. We're got No comment. Let's do the Homer Simpson back, back it into the hedge right now and hope no one else notices. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, okay. So, Megan, Sanity Corner or I Feel Petty? Okay. Um, I'm I'm doing a little grab bag. Um, Ooh. I want to recommend a a show that I've been watching called Bad Sisters. Mm. It was highly recommended mm. to me. It's on Apple TV. It's Irish. It's I think hysteria listeners would love it. Um, and then also RuPaul's Drag Race is back, and the queens are they're just so fun and talented, and it's just some of the best TV. Just like laughing and. It like truly is feel good. And then also I had a listener reach out that they were hoping I was going to be on to talk about Damar Hamlin, um, who mm-hmm. is the Bills player who went into cardiac arrest nine days ago. He has now been released from the <gasps> hospital. He was able to travel from Cincinnati back to Buffalo. He's been released from the hospital. Things are trending in a very positive direction. And and I think we all know that that did not seem like it was the case when it happened. And it, all of this is you know, culminating in, in some amount of good news, the it's been so public that the bills slash NFL are going to honor his contract, which is never the case. Like if you have been in the league less than four years, you get nothing, you get no health insurance, you get nothing to take care of you after if you get injured and you are not on a, a guaranteed contract, which none of them are, you get none of that money. So he is being like sort of grandfathered in as the exception to the rule. But I'm hoping that there's enough pressure put on the NFL that they have to make this the case in every single one of these situations. Um, The NFL playoffs start this weekend. The bills are in the playoffs and they're running back. Naheem Hines, who was traded from the Colts. So I do love him was able to return the, the kickoff for 96 yards on the first play of the game since DeMar left the game being injured. And it was like the, the bills quarterback is, is kind of like a nice square. (laughs) Um, a little bit of altar boy vibes. And he said it was spiritual and it really, it really was like, you just saw the entire stadium lose their mind. So I think the bills feel like the hands down favorite going into the playoffs and they lost four super bowls in the nineties. Like they need this on so many levels. Um, so somewhat of a feel-good story out of what we know is a not great league Mm -hmm. overall. Yeah, definitely. Megan, I wish I were wearing my Let's Go Buffalo sweatshirt for you (gasps) right now. I would love it. Oh, yeah. I'm excited. A bakery I follow in Western New York, I know that sounds crazy, is making Buffalo Bills bread. So if you you live in the Buffalo, Lewiston, Niagara Falls area, go to Decamillo's. It looks so good. Amazing. Well, thank you for that grab bag, Megan. Thank you so much. Um, And and that's all the time we have for this week's show. I want to thank Representative Pramila Jayapal for stopping by for our interview. I want to thank Megan and Kieran for being amazing. Alyssa, thank you for being my ride or die. And listeners, thanks to all of you for making the show so much fun for us to do week after week. And we will be back with more Hysteria next week. I'm from another planet, 
Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Rustin is our senior producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. Alyssa Mastromonaco is our co-producer. And Fiona Pastana is our associate producer. Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis are the sound engineers. And our editor is Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Thank you to our digital team, Nar Melkonian, Mia Kelman, Milo Kim, and Matt DeGroote. 